We come to the passage of Scripture for this morning from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stand forever. Please pray with me. Almighty God, we come this morning already having met with you. We have been worshiping, yes, but we come now to that preeminent act of worship, the reading and preaching of Holy Scripture. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray, come. Come and open our eyes of faith that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it is a great pleasure and joy to be with y'all on this august occasion of a 10-year anniversary. It is great fun to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it is my pleasure to do so. When Nate asked me to come, the question that he gave to me was, what is the thing that you think uh, Cornerstone needs to hear from God's Word over the next 10 years? As, as you've been over the past 10 years, as you look forward to the next 10 years, what do you need to hear from God's Word? And, and the thing that instantly came to my mind was this passage. You need to hear Jesus and you need to hear that he is your priceless treasure. Uh, this passage has been in my heart. Uh, it's been in my heart for years, uh, but it's been in my heart, especially over the last couple of months. On August the 30th, uh, my wife was diagnosed with metastatic colorectal cancer. Uh, she's 49 years old. She had no symptoms. She has no family history. Uh, it was an absolute and total shock. Uh, and has really thrown our family in a bit of a tailspin. Uh, I, I was, for the first two weeks, in the midst of all sorts of panic, um, trying to figure out what in the world was happening to us and our family. Um, she was diagnosed on August the 30th. She had surgery on September the 9th. In between those two dates, I came across a little book uh, by a Lutheran pastor named Harold Sinkbill called Christ and Calamity. Uh, I highly recommend that to you. I have been giving them away like candy over the last two months because Pastor Sinkbell just very graciously, kindly, and regardless of the calamity that we face, shows us how in the midst of each calamity, God is leading us to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the very back of that book was the words of the hymn that we're going to sing in connection to communion, Jesus' Priceless Treasure which brought me back again to this passage to, to cause me to reflect, what, what is it that I have? What is it that I have? What is it that you have this morning? As you've come to this sanctuary on this beautiful fall day, what is it that you really have? What are those priceless treasures that, that you have? Certainly your family, your husband, your wife, your children, your parents. Our families are priceless treasures that, that our God gives us, yes? Certainly our, our homes, the places we live, the schools that our children get to go to, the friendships that we have, the community that we share here, priceless treasures, yes. 
the work that God's given us, the various callings that we have in our workplace, in our community, uh, uh, civic organizations, all sorts of priceless treasures, yes. But what happens when they're taken away? What, what happens when, when those things that we treasure, the good gifts that we've sung up of already this morning, what happens when they're taken away? What is the one priceless treasure that you will actually take out of this life into the life to come? This passage points us right there to the one thing, the one person who alone can satisfy our hearts, the one person who alone will actually carry us from this life to the life to come, from this life to the new heavens, the new earth, and the resurrection of one person who is our priceless treasure. These, these parables occur in a, a beautiful chapter, Matthew chapter 13. We sometimes call this chapter the, the chapter of the kingdom parables. Seven parables that starts with uh, the, the parable of the, of the soils and ends with the parable of the nets. And Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand what his rule and reign in his realm looks like. Each parable begins with the kingdom of heaven is like... Jesus is trying to tell us about something we don't know. We don't know what the kingdom of God is like. We don't know what the kingdom of heaven is like. We, we, we have a hard time getting our hands around, our minds, our hearts around what God's rule and reign in his world looks like. So Jesus tells us about something we don't know by giving us pictures of things we might know. And in doing that, in this chapter, he gives us these two short parables that function as a pair to point us to, to what's of true value. What's the one thing needful? These two parables have all sorts of similarities, but there, there are some differences. Uh, in the parable of the hidden treasure, uh, you'd notice, if you have your Bibles open, if you're looking at the, the sheet in the worship booklet, you, you notice that the man who finds the treasure hidden in a field, he, he wasn't really looking for it. He wasn't on a quest. He wasn't searching. He was just walking through the field, and he stumbles across the treasure. And because he finds this treasure of, of inestimable value, he does whatever is necessary to find it. In contrast, the, the parable of the pearl of great value, there's this merchant who has been searching for this one pearl probably all his life. To be sure, this was his livelihood, his business, but he's been on a search, going around the world trying to find that one thing of great value. One man who's not on a search, another who is. That may be y'all this morning. Some of you are not on a search. You, you're, you're happy with life. Things have been going well. You're not necessarily looking for something that will satisfy your heart. Others of you have been on a quest since your earliest days, since you were three, four, five years old, and you, you began to wonder about God and life in this world. Whether you are on a quest this morning, whether you are searching for that which will actually satisfy your heart, the one thing needful, or whether you are just wandering through life this morning, Jesus wants to speak to you. Jesus has a word for you this morning. And it has everything to do with the, the, the main point of this parable, these two parables. Namely, that, that there's one thing needful, one priceless treasure. 
And these two searchers or non-searchers, this man in the field, the merchant, they show us what it looks like to, uh, how to assess the value of our lives and the things we come across. Uh, notice how these men both assess what they've come across. The, the man in the field, when he finds the treasure, he, he instantly knows what he's found. He recognizes its value, its worth. That it was quite a stash. It, it could have been someone's life's uh, uh, savings that they've been storing up, and, and because they didn't trust the banks, they didn't trust the, the lenders, they, they hid it in the field. It seemed safer there. And perhaps by sudden death, they're taken away, and the generations after them didn't know about the treasure, and it was just lying there, just buried there. And this man simply stumbles across it, but when he finds it, when he sees it, he knows instantly its value. And he responds by selling everything he has in order to acquire the field and so acquire the treasure. For the man who finds the pearl of great value, he seems to be able to assess it instantly. Of course, he's an expert. He's a, he's a pearl merchant. In the ancient world, pearls were the things of, of great value. More than gold and silver, it was pearls. They, they, they were the most valuable treasure of the ancient world. And this man was perfectly positioned to be able to, to assess the value. He's a merchant in search of fine pearls, the passage says. And so when he finds this small pearl, he's able to assess it as so valuable that he sells everything he has, all the pearls that were already in his bags, perhaps the gold, the silver, the jewels too, sells it all because he assesses this pearl of such value. Now remember, Jesus is giving us these pictures to tell us something about something we don't know. He wants us to assess the worth of God's kingdom appropriately, because the kingdom of heaven is like these things. So Jesus wants us, he's calling us as his disciples, as we are standing here with his 12, hearing these parables, he wants us to assess the value of God's kingdom, of God's rule and reign in his world. And what Jesus wants us to see is that God's rule and reign in his world is of such value that it would be worth selling everything in order to enter into the kingdom, in order to find our place under God's rule, in order to have a real, vital relationship with the God of heaven who's come to us in Jesus Christ by the Spirit. Such, such value, such worth, such an assessment well, it's directly contrary to the assessment made by the Pharisees, isn't it? Jesus is calling us to place such high value upon God's rule and reign that we would be willing to sell everything in order to enter into real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But the Pharisees in the previous chapter, they assessed Jesus' actions completely differently, and so the, the inbreaking of the kingdom with Jesus completely differently. In fact, they actually say that Jesus is casting out demons, how? By the power of the devil himself. Others could look at Jesus and the kingdom that he was bringing in and say, oh, this is of an estimable value. But the Pharisees looked at the same rule and reign that Jesus was breaking in and said, this is the devil's work. And Jesus will tell them in Matthew chapter 12, verse 26, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? But if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, 
then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, the Pharisees held that God's reign in Jesus wasn't worth anything. It was the devil's work. Others saw Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God that was coming in Jesus, as, as of some value because of the good gifts that he brang. Uh, the cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, they all responded with, Jesus, with joy when Jesus came to heal, when Jesus fed them, when Jesus was actually doing good things for them, giving them good gifts, but they turned on him when he began to challenge them to take up their cross and follow him. The disciples who were hearing these parables, perhaps you as Jesus' disciples, you hear Jesus differently. You're able to assess differently. You see the worth of God's kingdom. You know how valuable God's rule and reign in his realm is. And that's because where the kingdom of God is, that's where the king is. And if you're able to assess properly the great value of God's kingdom, it's only because you're able to assess the great worth, the great value, the great excellency of Jesus the King. To the Pharisees, Jesus wasn't much. Isaiah had said that that they would assess Jesus as having no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. And yet, Jesus was the one of whom God the Father said, this is my son, my beloved one. And the disciples, too, were able to see in Jesus one whose character brings together all of the great attributes of God in perfect balance, in perfect harmony, that when you looked at Jesus and you assessed who Jesus the King was, you were able to assess Him as beautiful, as beautiful Savior, as, as excellent, as precious, as the one great treasure and the one thing needful. The 18th century Puritan Jonathan Edwards once preached a sermon on the excellency of Christ where he, he brings together the various attributes of God and shows how these attributes of God are brought together in perfect balance and in perfect harmony in Jesus our Savior. Edwards observed that Jesus was the one who was both the Lion of Judah and the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That in Jesus we have one who, who knows and practices infinite justice, but extends infinite grace. Things that we think are in opposition, Jesus brings together in perfect harmony. That in Jesus we have one who holds together infinite glory and represents infinite humility. In Jesus we have one who, who demonstrates infinite majesty, but also transcendent meekness. In Jesus... We have one who holds together absolute sovereignty and perfect resignation. And in Jesus, we find one who has true self-sufficiency and yet demonstrates entire God-reliance. When you look at Jesus Christ and you assess his value and worth, you, you actually look at one who is beautiful and who is excellent, who is priceless. I wonder this morning, is that how you assess Jesus? Is that how you assess the worth of Jesus, God's King? Or, or is Jesus simply an accessory to, to add to your already beautiful life? 
I mean, you, you, you're beautiful people. I come from Memphis, Tennessee to tell you that. You're beautiful people. You have beautiful families. You live in a beautiful part of the country. Memphis is jealous of Nashville, right? Is Jesus simply something to add to your already beautiful life? Listen to me. There is coming a day when you and I are going to leave this world. And what you have in this world, you cannot take with you. There's only one thing you can take with you, and his name is Jesus. Do you have Jesus as your inestimable treasure? Do you see Jesus not simply as another accessory to add to your already beautiful life, but you're everything? Because, friends, if he's not your everything, he's not your anything. How do you assess him? For these men in the parable, the man walking in the field, stumbling across this treasure, the merchant who finds the pearl of great value, they both assessed the treasures properly. And when they assessed it properly, they acted. Both men, what did they do? They acted, didn't they? And how did they act? They, they sold everything. What, what happens is they're selling all. Now, of course, the language here of selling, it doesn't involve money necessarily. The gospel teaches us, Isaiah 55, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy, eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. No, it's not our money that somehow causes us to gain access into the very throne room of God. Of course not. But this selling all, what does it mean? What is it picturing? Well, the selling all speaks of a total sacrifice of those who would be Jesus' disciples. The absolute abandonment that's, that he calls us to. The, the language of the great hymn, take my life, let it be consecrated. You know what that word consecrated means? It means separated completely, dedicated completely. Take my life, let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That's what's involved in the selling all. It's the language of Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we know hatred here is in comparison to all other loves. Yes, yes, yes. But I do think we shouldn't soften what Jesus is driving at. Namely, if you truly could grasp just an infinitesimal part of the beauty and excellency of Jesus Christ, you would gladly forsake all. Because he is beautiful, and he is excellent, and he is glorious, and he is the one thing needful. Now, there was one man who came to Jesus who wasn't willing to sell all. You remember him? He shows up in several of the gospel accounts, the rich young ruler. This man who had money and power and influence, he was on a quest, wasn't he? He was on a quest for eternal life. And he says, Jesus, what one thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. And Luke's gospel says, when he heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. So the question for you this morning is, are you more like the rich young ruler who, 
who couldn't let go of, of the good gifts that God had given. The good gifts we heard in the New Testament reading this morning, didn't we? First Timothy 6, well chosen. The riches of this life. Can you not let those things go as open-handed? Let them out in order to gain Christ. Are you like the rich young ruler? Or are you like these men? This, this man who finds the treasure in the field and sells all that he has to gain the treasure. The, the merchant who undoubtedly had a great stock of, of pearls with him already. He sold them all in order to gain the pearl of great value. I wonder this morning, what's holding you back? What's holding you back from being completely consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ? What's holding you back from truly following after in a wholehearted way? Following after this beautiful Savior. What's holding you back? For those who sell all, for those who are willing to say, Jesus, all that I am, all that I have, it's yours. And if you want to take it all away, as long as you leave me yourself, it's okay. For those who are willing to sell all, what they'll find is in selling all, they actually gain everything. Of course, you know the quote from Jim Elliott, the missionary from Wheaton College who went down to Ecuador and who was killed. Uh, he is no fool who who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, right? Those who sell all actually gain all. And in gaining all, we gain Christ. We gain all of his benefits. Justification, sanctification, adoption, glorification, these great theological words that actually come in sweet assurance as we had this morning. Did you hear it in the assurance of pardon? This, this good news that the Spirit speaks in your heart and says, son, daughter, you're mine no matter what you've done this past week. You're still my child. It's a beautiful truth, a beautiful gift. In selling all to gain Jesus, you gain all of his benefits. You gain access into the heavenly places. That which was previously the very throne room of judgment is now the throne room of grace. And you can enter in through Jesus' name into the very presence of the Father and make your requests known to Him. An inestimable, valuable thing. You gain an eternal dwelling place. An eternal dwelling place in the heavenly places and then a spot in the resurrection of the just. When this world is made new and the dead in Christ rise and your body and soul are put back together again. And you'll enter into the true joy of your Master. A great gift that you gain in selling all. You gain this great gift. And you gain the promise of a reward, a, a crown of righteousness for those who long to see Jesus. But in selling all, not only do you gain all of these good things, above all, you gain Jesus. You gain a real, vital relationship with Him. The only one who can satisfy you, the one thing needful. And so... In selling all, you gain all. You gain Jesus Christ, but you also gain joy. And it's this little detail. 
It's this little detail in verse 44. The man who finds the treasure hidden in the field, he covers it up, and then Jesus says, then in his joy. Then in his joy, he goes and with all that he has buys the field. You and I are on a quest for joy. That's why we, we dive into all of these lesser treasures that we have, isn't it? It's because of the great joy that we come, but they, those joys, they fade. They flee away. But there's one lasting joy, and it comes in selling all that we might gain Jesus, because when we gain Jesus, the byproduct of gaining Jesus is joy. If we go after joy... First and foremost, not only do we not get joy, we don't get Jesus. But if we go after Jesus, not only do we get Jesus, but as a byproduct, he gives us his joy. So that when the worst thing we can possibly imagine happens to us, as honestly as happened to me, Jesus is enough because he's our priceless treasure. And so we can say with the songwriter, hence all fear and sadness. For the Lord of gladness, Jesus enters in. Those who love the Father, though the storms may gather, still have peace within. Yea, whate'er I hear must bear. Thou art still my purest pleasure. Jesus priceless treasure. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Almighty God, we bless you that you put up with such foolish human beings as we chase after mud pies and all kinds of different things in this life when you offer us yourself. Lord, I pray for my new friends this morning. And I pray that you would work in their hearts in ways that you alone can do. Show them themselves as in the mirror of God's word. Show them what it is that they truly value. And lead them gently by the hand to their faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And may they say, you can have all the world. Just give me Jesus. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.